Welcome to this episode of the ITP. We are joined by a PE teacher for elementary and his experiences teaching both in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. As a matter of note, Matt, the family guy, is on vacation on the Gulf links right now, so Kent Aramura is my co-host for this episode. Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Greg, the single guy, and Matt, the family guy. We're recording episodes from around the globe to tell you about the best-kept secret in education. That's right, it's teaching overseas. We're glad to have you. Okay, let's do an introduction then. Okay, well, next uh, up... Uh... Oh, I'll do I'll do <laughs> Sorry. All right. So welcome to this episode of International Teacher Podcast. I am Greg, the, the single guy, and Matt, the family guy, is off on vacation this week, but I do have a special treat. You've met him before. I have in the desert studio with me today, I've got, I have Kent Aramura here with me, and good morning, Kent. Hey, good morning, Greg. It's great to be here. I am now Kent, the cat guy. Oh, God, we're going to have to call him. This is Greg, the single guy, and Matt, uh, Matt, the family guy, sitting out, but sitting in is Kent, the cat guy. But it's not all about Kent, and it's not all about me this morning, because in our studio, we have a special episode with you, and he's going to talk about Abu Dhabi and life in Dubai teaching, and you're going to meet Jim. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for joining us. So excited to be here. Yeah, he's a little nervous. Is it first time on there, Kent? What do you think? Yeah. First time radio. Popping that cherry. I know this is podcast, it's radio, but I'll tell you what, Jim's got a face made for TV. Out of the three of us, he's the only one you want to see. That's true. It's, it's much better than me. On you know, And Matt always says he has a face for radio, but Jim, yeah, he, he's younger. He's a little bit more... Probably more appealing to the ladies. We don't know yet. So anyway, Jim is our guest this morning. And Jim, we just want to really talk to you about some fun stories. Can you tell us first, before you went overseas, can you give us a little history of your, a little background on what you did before international? Before international, I was a student. No, don't go back to the (laughs) dinosaur age, man. (laughs) And then um, after I graduated college, I did one semester of subbing and then straight away to Dubai. So you, when did you get hired for Dubai? If you went straight away subbing, were you interviewed at a job fair or something? I was not interviewed at a job fair. As everything in this world, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Ah. My brother, his very crazy connection, his brother, his sister-in-law's brother-in-law, father-in-law, something, something crazy. But anyways, he was off for the job in Dubai. He turned it down and said, my brother needs a job. And a couple of like a month, <laughs> month later, I was on a plane. I can't make it, but I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was quasi-related to the guy. I could tell this is going to be an interview with lots of laughter from my co- co-host here, right? A lot different than Matt. Matt will make you laugh, but can't just laugh. So <laughs> I'll make myself laugh. <laughs> so, so you were on the plane after a month after you got done subbing. Pretty much, um, what did I, no, actually two months. I had, a, I had the summer, and then it was gone. Boom, August, out. And how long did you stay there? 
three years in Dubai. So it's three years in Dubai. And you went alone, right? Yeah. Like your brother had a friend of colors, friends, brothers, sisters, cats, uh, priest told you about it. And you went and just bam. What did you take like the suitcase, two suitcases worth, and that's it? That was it. Sight unseen, did you know anything about the school you were going to? Nope. I saw on the internet really quickly. And then a week later, it was Ramadan. So you did so you did one week like you did like one interview excuse me you did one interview and then you're there at the school Yeah I have a question um, I have an answer What made you interested in international teaching and did you go to Dubai because it was a destination that you were interested in or was that because that's where the job was The job got me interested cuz I didn't have a job <laughs> I was um yeah subbing and working in a bar so I needed something a little bit more steady. Did you know where it was in the map? After I heard about it. <laughs> yeah, man. When I got hired for Honduras, I actually had to go and look it up on the map. I knew it was somewhere in the Americas. I had no idea. But you went to Dubai. I mean, that's a long way away. We usually, all three of us have been there many times, mm-hmm. right? Being in the Middle East as we are in the desert studio. Three years in Dubai. Awesome. But you went alone. And the reason I do mention that is because you are also a family guy, sort of like Matt. Yeah. Not a cat guy, though. Went alone, didn't leave alone. <laughs> are we going to tell that story, too? <laughs> so this is not just an interview about Dubai. It's also about meeting your special someone while overseas. Is that your story, Jim? Oh, it could be, yeah. Sounds good. Uh, was your wife working at the same school? No, she wasn't. Um, she was a little bit better than me. She was a... Uh, Business class flight attendant for Emirates. Yeah, but you're not exactly a business class kind of guy. So how does this happen? It, it's very random um, <laughs> <laughs> and crazy. Well, that's what we like about these stories. So <laughs> just go ahead. You know, you can we can always edit later if you want. If you get in trouble, sorry, Claire. If you get in trouble on this one, you know, we will. Oh no, she knows the story. It was a Friday, and as you know, in. The Middle East, that is your brunch day. And so I had been all day at brunch. And let's say we're bet three sheets to the wind. And I was with my ex-girlfriend's brother and another guy. My ex-girlfriend's brother hit on Claire's friend. And we were left there. And yeah, started talking to each other. She didn't like me, but I kept pestering her. Oh, we got to go back on this one. So you're telling me that you went to brunch, which is our weekend. It's like the Saturday in the States is uh, Friday in the Middle East for most countries in the Middle East. Okay, because it's a holy day, right? Friday is mm-hmm. a holy day. Very holy. So for us, it's sort of like the day to go to brunch. So you go to brunch with your ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. and your ex-girlfriend's boyfriend. No, my ex-girlfriend's brother. Your ex-girlfriend's brother. And some other teachers. Ah, because you guys are connected and therefore, okay, got it. Not with my ex-girlfriend. I'm slow. That was just going to be a better story, I guess. Could we say that instead? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm going to get him in trouble, Kent. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jim. I I interrupted. Go ahead. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we started talking and she took us to a very good bar here in Dubai, Rock Bottom. Go for it. Because it is rock bottom. And then she gave me the wrong phone number. And I kept pestering her. And eventually, she got tired of me pestering her. And one thing led to another. But how did you pester her if she gave you the wrong phone number? 
I eventually got the right number. Oh, you taunted her down. You got That's it off the restraining order. Actually. Well, no, she she gave it to me at the. <laughs> <laughs> she gave it to me at the bar, <laughs> and then I called it, <laughs> and it didn't ring. So once the judge let you get out of the restraining order, then you could go yeah. see her again. And, okay, that's great. She, she was a, and she was doing what at the time? She was a flight attendant. What were you teaching since you had been subbing in the states and you went right to Dubai? Well, I taught elementary PE. For two years, and then the last year I was there, I went up to the middle school. So that was the International Baccalaureate, so PYP and NYP. Ah, I love that stuff, IB, IB school. That was that early in the relationship when you were there, like the first year that you met her, and then the next two years you guys dated? No, okay. It was just, <laughs> the, it was like you met her at brunch, and then you got married? Oh, I understand. Yes, basically. <laughs> what was it? I probably met her in the second year I was there, yeah. So it was one year, better the second year. So you said you taught for three years in Dubai. Did you go to Abu Dhabi next? No. You didn't? Okay. You didn't. There's more to the story. There's more to the story. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. The plot thickens. It does thicken. Well, Claire is very much Welsh, very Welsh. So she wanted our, our son born in Wales. If people don't know that, our listeners, if you don't know where that is, it's it's near the Great Britain. It's not, uh, we don't like to call her British because she's not, she's Welsh. No, no, she, she is very British. careful about that. She's British. She's just not English. She's British, but she's not English. So she's part of Greater Britain, the overall Greater Britain, but she's not English. Correct. Have to be very careful very about careful. that. Very careful. Right. Yes. I'm just letting our listeners know because we all know where, well, I don't know if Kent even knows where it is. Do you know where that is? I'm looking it up right now on Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a small little island off of off of Great Britain. Okay, so. No, the Welsh. it's on the same island. It's on the same island? Yeah. Is it really? England, Wales, and Scotland are all on the same. I knew that. Do you, Kent, do you know the capital of Wales? And the are IB is, this, is the, this used to be the capital of the IB also. Did you know that? Cardiff. Cardiff. So, did you guys get married in Dubai? You left Dubai? You got married in Wales? How did that work for you? Well, we left Dubai, and then we got married in England. My wife's family was living in England, so we stayed there for a while, got married. But she's not English. But she's not English, but her mom was living in England, and we, we needed a house, a place to stay. You were teaching at this time? You're taking a break from teaching? Well, wasn't taking a break. Should we go into this? We will mail strip. We can skip over this we if we want. This your, your mail, your but mail escort I, service. I think what he's trying to tell us is that he finally had to wear a pair of pants for work. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's a little show. PE joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, sure, why not? Anyways, Claire and I weren't married in Dubai, and we're living together, which you're not allowed to do, and. Things happen. Okay, so that's a pro tip for all those teachers who want to teach in Dubai. Don't tell. Make it official or don't tell. Yeah. So anyways, somehow she got pregnant, which you're not allowed if you're not married in the Middle East. So she went to her boss and they were like, all right, we'll give you two weeks off. Go have an abortion. Come back. She's like, no, no, thank you. I've been told I can't have kids, so I'm keeping this. (laughs) Wow. She wasn't sure about you, but she was sure about the kid. <laughs> well, there's more. So then they go, okay, well, all right, you two can go to uh, Cyprus this weekend and get married. She's like, but mm, I don't know if I want to marry him. <laughs> I want to keep this kid, but I'm not sure I want to marry him. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. They're like, well, 
the only option is you have to leave in 24 hours and you can't say goodbye to anybody. <laughs> she left, went to her mom. I finished out my contract and then, yeah, we spent a year in England where I did some substitute teaching and yeah. And that was the end of your three years in Dubai. That was the end of my three years. Okay. So I finished I my contract out. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because, you know, and, and we don't have, this is not the marriage counseling uh, station here. This is not the episode of marriage counseling either, Kent. So we got to get off this marriage this thing. This is international I relationship love this advice. Exactly. I was going to mention, though, Jim, is that it's really interesting and it's a good point, is that teachers that usually they go overseas can take a year off after working, se- you know, several years and saving up enough money. And we've talked about it in previous podcasts. But you can definitely work for several years and save enough money that go and do what you want for a year, whether it's biking through Tibet or if it's, you know, going off on the beach and diving for another year or maybe figuring out if you want to marry somebody and living in England. You know, that's start plenty of family. Exactly. And yeah. start a family. Yeah, that's a great story. I didn't know that about you. This is the other cool thing about doing International Teacher Podcast is we can find out more about the personal side of people that makes them so unique. You work with a guy for years, but you don't learn about them until you get them on the podcast. There you go. There you go. So we're up to date now because now it's a year later. And did you, for Abu Dhabi then, did you go to, is it who you know again? This this only time that wasn't who I know. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) Now, when you decided to go to Abu Dhabi, were you set on returning back to UAE? Was Was that an important part of your decision making? How did you end up in UAE back in Abu Dhabi? Um, no, we enjoyed the Middle East while we were there, or Dubai. So it was, it was a possibility we were looking at. But yeah, no, applied for a recruiter in England. And then they sent forth the job in Abu Dhabi. And I should have been more skeptical when the interview was like 10 minutes long. And they're like, okay, you're hired. <laughs> oh my okay, gosh. I think that's a great those. point about international teaching. That interviews are not just them getting to know you. Uh, in international teaching, the interview is a chance for you to get to know them as well. well. Jim just said it. He should have had a red flag up there and been skeptical because I'm waiting to hear this story because mm. something happened. Kent, did you notice his voice sort of got deeper and goes, oh, I should have been skeptical. <laughs> okay, so you went through a recruiter because they have several different kinds of recruiting in that's more more popular in the UK to have a recruiter for for teaching, right? Yeah. We have our own kinds, but you don't. You, you went through the British one. So tell us about that after that happened. What's up, Susie? Okay, you guys continue. I'll be back. Shall we sing a duet? Moon River. Moon River. <laughs> <laughs> I've well, got uh, we'll just chat. <laughs> so if you got material you can use. Uh, how much of this story is uh, already public for... Uh, for you and Claire, how much of this story has already been told to your friends and coworkers? Um, all of it. All of it. All of it. So, was your school in Dubai better than your school in Abu Dhabi? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. But going back there was not an option. No, there wasn't a position there. It wasn't an option. So, I just needed to find a job rather than doing the supply teaching in England, which was only paying 200 pounds a week or whatever. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, with the... A young baby, it wasn't enough. And the tax-free income and free health care. It's all good in the Middle East. So what else, what other schools did the recruiter come back with then? Any other locations? Did you consider Saudi Arabia? Did you consider Oman, Jordan, Syria at the time? 
I had been told to look into Saudi Arabia, but we were like, no, there's no way we're going to there's Saudi Arabia. There's no way you're going to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to work in Yemen, and it was really funny because all my coworkers had checked the box and said, anywhere but Yemen. <laughs> and there we were together. <laughs> Love that school. Uh, you didn't consider Saudi Arabia. What Did you consider Egypt or, at that time, before the, the civil war in Syria, it was a pretty desirable spot, Damascus mm. and Aleppo. Unfortunately, that country was having problems. Hmm. Uh, had you considered those countries as well? Um, we were up for anything, but Abu Dhabi was the one that came forward, and they said you have the job, and I was like, okay, I need a job. I'm taking it. So the recruiter, did you do you feel like the recruiter steered you to an undesirable school at that point? Or when you look back at it, what was your experience? Would you recommend? I feel like he was probably getting a kickback from the school, and so he was funneling people there um, as and, much as he could. And so you feel like you would not direct people to the, to this recruiter? No. 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 Are you skeptical of all recruiters then in that system, or what's your feeling? No, I'm not skeptical of them. I still randomly look at some of their sites to see what's out there. I see. So maybe your experience would have been different had you had maybe a more honest or reputable recruiter. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say, yes. Okay. Yeah, because uh, the job they sent through was a middle school PE um, position. So when I interviewed, they're like, yep, we'll teach in middle school. And then when I got there, two days into the introduction, I'm like, all right, you're teaching early elementary PE. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? Because <laughs> there, there was another PE teacher that was getting inducted at the same time. And we're like, oh, I'm doing middle school PE. He's like, oh, so am I. <laughs> and then... And then a couple of days later, it's like, you're doing early years. <laughs> so you got bumped. Yeah. What's your experience like as a PE teacher on the international circuit? Is it uh, easier or harder than, say, a classroom teacher? What's been your experience overall? Well, I've never really seen the classroom side. From what I observe, I would think being well, you PE. You wear pants, by the way. Yeah. And unfortunately, I have to now. <laughs> um, it, it appears that being not just a PE teacher, but being a specialist is easier than classroom teacher so you feel like had you held out and shopped around a little bit more your experience your second overseas experience could have been oh a little bit more palatable a little bit more exciting yes 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 do you know it smells like a high school track bus in here have you ever been on a track a bus to a track meet i showered last night (laughs) i did too all i smell is icy hot (laughs) (laughs) That's out of my knees. Or, that's you know, my old be a, man. That's got to be a symptom of something. <laughs> that's going to be edited out, too. Oh, boy, what a show. And we'll edit Are that. Are you kidding? Too. This interview finally took off. <laughs> Actually, it's a good segue. I had one listener that wanted us to talk more about specialists and more about certain things that are taught at schools. Can you? Is that the only listener you have? The only one. And it's his mom. And it's not my mom. It's not my mom. <laughs> It's not Bob. It's our one listener. I think we have 98 now. Like like normal, regular listeners, I think it's showing us 98. I don't know. Let's get back to my question. Can you give us a couple stories or insights into what it's like for a specialist in PE to be teaching at international schools, at least in Abu Dhabi or in Dubai? What were those experiences like? I had it really easy in Dubai. That was a great job. Is it just like in the States or is it is it different? Oh, no. Like in Dubai, we were on a six-day schedule or a two-day schedule, but they call it a six-day schedule. Some days I would teach like one class and the rest I had off. One class? <laughs> one class. How many students were at that school? There were a lot. There were six, 68 different nationalities. I would say over, over a thousand. Was it a K-12 school? No, it was the International Baccalaureate. They were 
of little ones were two, I think. So it's two years old up to uh, 16 when they leave IB. Well, it probably depends on the school because then they go for the IB, the the diploma yeah. after that. Yeah, the dip- yeah, they started the diploma, I think, right when I got there. So yeah, it eventually went to 18. thousand students. And then how many people did you have PE then? There were three PE teachers. And then my second year, we got an assistant as well. So if you taught one class, like <laughs> I can't imagine that they really put a lot of emphasis on PE in, in the Dubai, at least at that school. No, they were very athletic. I taught soccer, football, um, taught basketball, or not coached, sorry, coached the little kids' soccer and coached varsity basketball team. Oh, so you did a lot of coaching besides your PE. Yeah, yeah. Dubai is full of money. You must have been stocked with everything from rubber chickens to real baseball bats to basketball. I mean, like, it should, yeah. it's basically like a super high-end school funded for anything, and especially with PE. Seeing the storerooms in my student teaching, how little supplies and homemade supplies PE teachers have, and then going to a school that had multiple storerooms of equipment. Yeah. So talking about the wealth of Dubai, as an international teacher in Dubai, did you live pretty well? What was life like for you in terms of cost of living, and having a good life and travel. Can you say a few words about that? Nice money segue there, buddy. Thanks, yeah. No, I lived comfortably while I was there, but I didn't leave it much. Traveled, went to India, Thailand, Maldives. No, there's plenty of opportunities to travel. Oman. Yeah, didn't save money because you spend it on a Friday. (laughs) For those teachers thinking about Dubai, it's a place where you can have a pretty good life. You can shop. You can eat out, you can travel, but just ex- don't expect to have high savings in the job. Yeah, because the cost of living is pretty high in Dubai, I would imagine, the times I've been there. Yeah. The people that have the money are not necessarily staying there. They're the ones that are making money off of tourism and construction and things like that. And then there's the working class, which is teachers and the, the all the flight attendants that are based out of there. But we know we learned where to go, and now when we go back, we definitely don't stay at the, the Kapinski or the Four Seasons, where we find the cheapest 200 dirham a night hotel and well the last time i did that it turned out to be a brothel and i didn't know about that until <laughs> later on i found out it was a brothel but i was just like excited because it Don't was next to a steakhouse <laughs> there are some areas to stay away when you're looking at <laughs> bookings.com and there's other ones all i want to do is get away to dubai for a little bit well then a brothel's a good place <laughs> i didn't know it was you know the downstairs was basically a brothel but it turned out to be so yeah, that's another story for another day. Dubai, it, it is a good lifestyle, though. You get to travel anywhere because it is the hub of this part of the world. It mm. is a hub for many parts of the world. You can go anywhere you want from yeah, Dubai. And you, you have to go through Dubai to get to many other places anyway. But did you travel around Dubai and, and go-karting and stuff like that, all these extra things and snow skiing? and I mean, you see all the things that they do in Dubai. And you were there before the Burj Khalifa was done, right? Before yeah, we were there while it was being built. Yeah. Being, it was being built. And what, it was what were actually those? the Burj Dubai when it was being built. Ah. And what year were you there? Did we go over that? I may have mentioned I moved there in 2007. 2007, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was there in 2004. They had just started the Palm. And that was the big thing back then. And my other, and I do like to share a few stories. I was there when I was teaching in Egypt. We had gone to Dubai just for the weekend. Yeah, it was my first time there. And my buddy and I went... Mooney and I went because he had a girlfriend that was, at the time, Thai uh, Airways first class stewardess or flight attendant, if you will. 
So we went to visit her and we stayed at her apartment with her and I was excited because we're going to go with their friends and her her friends actually were, were great. I had a great week. And the stories that I remember, the most important things were this is the first time in 60 years that Egypt had had a locust swarm. It was biblical and we're missing it because back in back in Cairo, there's swarms of these insects are hitting the apartments and people are posting videos and everything. But what we experienced on the same day was a hailstorm. And I mean, living in Egypt where it rains twice a year, we're in Dubai and we got weather, which it was a thunderstorm and dust storm at the same time. You know, those are like in the Middle East. And good mudstorm. Yeah, but it was also hail. I mean, we went out and caught with pots and pans. Mooney and I go down 30 flights in the elevator, get out with a pot in each hand. And we go out there to catch some of these things because we're like, oh, my God, it's weather. And these are like hail size, like, I don't know, like a dice. Hail the size of hail. Hail the size of dice, right? (laughs) Exactly. Thank you, Jim. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was so weird. It was biblical. The second story I remember is we went out on the beach. And at this time, what was the most famous building in Dubai? It was the one that's shaped like a sail. Burj Al Arab. Burj Al Arab. And we went along the beach. It was around, I want to say it was around winter time because it was pretty cold. I was wearing a leather jacket. It was raining, yeah. I was wearing a leather jacket, a pair of jeans and a t-shirt, my normal things back then. Mooney and I just went out to walk along the beach and see what's out there. And we saw a couple things. So <laughs> this is where we first ran into like a group of women that were fully covered. They all went into the water and we thought they were just wading around, but they all went in and I think they went up to their heads in the water. They didn't sink in or anything, but they actually were walking into the water and it was cold, man. I couldn't believe this. These two Germans walk out to two guys. (laughs) They walk out to the beach and then right there in front of the women, they're out swimming. These two Germans do the German thing. They drop trowel right there. I mean, no towels or anything. They just drop their shorts, pull the weedy bikinis out of the bag, put those on, and go swimming. And then they come back out and reverse the whole thing. The, the women were in shock completely. You could just see this awe, shock going on. They all turn around. They can't believe it. Mooney and I were just shocked, too. It's like we're watching this happen. And, of course, we're looking around for the Dubai police. Yeah, they're lucky they didn't get arrested. (laughs) That's what we thought, too. Our first impression was, oh, my God, where are the cops, man? This is going to be fun. This is going to be a cop story. It didn't turn out to be a cop story, though. You know, let's a few questions about the cop stories, because every year I feel like I'm reading a story about an American uh, teacher or a British (laughs) teacher who's gone afoul of the law in Dubai and gotten themselves in a lot of trouble. Is that something that was a thing when you were there? No, I don't remember hearing any teachers getting in trouble while I was there. Uh, every once in a while, I'll read a story about a young woman wears a bikini at the mall or maybe shares a kiss with a boyfriend and then finds themselves in a lot of hot water. Now, is that something that people have to think about or is that pretty rare? I'd say it's kind of rare, but no, you do need to be, I don't know, cognizant of their customs, but... I remember in the mall, there was an Emirati lady who was coming down the escalator and her bio was just flapping open in the wind and she had on a mini skirt or whatever. And it's just like, all right. But no, it does happen. Like when we were in Abu Dhabi after a night out, we were at McDonald's and we shared a kiss, Claire and I, after we were married. And a local woman was like, you can't do that. That's against our customs. I'm going to call the police. Okay. If only she knew what you had done before. (laughs) Well, some of the countries are more uh, sensitive than others are about men and women. 
And I know when I lived in Kuwait, men couldn't even talk to women. In fact, boys and girls would sit back to back in a restaurant and text each other because there were Kuwaiti police, secret police going around checking for that. It was just a real thing. I mean, everything we did was separated from women. Almost every single thing that we did, not at school when I taught in Kuwait, but in the country itself, almost everything was segregated. And there's other countries. I think Saudi Arabia is sort of like that too, I think. But I know that Kuwait is certainly like that. Depends on the year that you talk about. I mean, I was in Kuwait in 2005 to 2007, and I was in Egypt 2004 to 5. So that's when I was in 2004 or 5, I was in Dubai. And it seemed very segregated at the time. And I think it's come a long way since then. And a lot of that's underground too. You know, a lot of the men and women things. So men and women check into hotels nowadays, I think, in Dubai without worrying about a marriage certificate. I don't know about Abu Dhabi. Kuwait, I know, I'm pretty sure it's still that way that you cannot be in a hotel unless you show a marriage certificate. Don't know these things. I'm not the married guy. I'm the single guy. Usually they don't know if I'm checking into a hotel with somebody else, but it's an interesting concept. But I, I need do to go down this road a no. more. <laughs> <laughs> this is a focus on you, Jim. I wanted to say I think Jim has some stories about Abu Dhabi, though. There's some police stories in him. You don't want to get in trouble with that, but share one of them with us, Jim, please. please Jim, let's hear. It. If you want to go Dubai first, and then we can move to Abu Dhabi, please, please. Stories in both places. Well, in Dubai, before I met Claire, she was at rock bottom, and some guy was trying to hit on her, or whatever, and then. At the end of the night, as they're leaving, he went in to kiss her goodnight, and she pulled away, and he kissed her on the cheek, and then the police were there, like, two seconds later. Like, get into the car. It's against our rules. You can't do this. I didn't kiss him. Holy cow. They really had the guys waiting around looking for that. Yeah, it must have been. Holy cow. Yeah, and they had the guy was in the back of the police truck or whatever quite quickly, but Claire was resistance, and I didn't do anything, and then... Eventually, one of her friends came out of the club and turns out that he was the policeman's neighbor. And so it's speaking to him in Arabic, like, what's wrong? And like, went to Clara, said, just go. It's all right. Leave now. Yeah. So she was okay after that. But yeah, again, it's who you know. <laughs> yeah. And then we were in Abu Dhabi, but we went out. Yeah, I think it was my second, our second, last year there. Um, went out for night out with uh, another teacher. Claire will ask anybody anything. She'll, even <laughs> if you shouldn't, she'll ask it. She's not afraid to ask the embarrassing or controversial questions. Yeah, so she gets talking to this guy. Um, she was teaching English as a second language, so he was trying to figure out English and work on his English, and it turns out that he was CID or undercover police in the Emirates. So then they get to talking, and she's like, how come these prostitutes are allowed? <laughs> like women of the night. And he's like, it's a business. Brings us money. <laughs> and she's like, but it's against your rules. It's, uh, all right, it's business. <laughs> well, it's like Las Vegas, right? Las Vegas, it's by law that it's, it's okay because it brings in business for their state. Yeah. And there's certain, you know, we have municipalities that allow it. Not where you're from, probably Kent, but and not where Green Bay, you know, it's not like legal. But yeah, Las Vegas, and, and these places are a lot like Las Vegas. They're just poof, out of nowhere in the desert. Mm-hmm. So I can see that they do that. But that's interesting that she's so shy to ask him that straight out, like, so tell me, why are these ladies here? <laughs> and you're not doing anything about it. But I get thrown in the back of a wagon for a yeah. little kiss because they're not doing anything public. Yeah. They're doing it behind closed doors. And the cops know this, but they don't see it so they can claim that they don't know. Yeah. Oh, interesting. To continue that, he took us up the elevator to another club. And he's like, we walk in. He's like, every single one of these girls <laughs> is a prostitute. 
So he's just carrying it out. He's like showing you even more. This is a great relationship that (laughs) she really brings it out in people, doesn't she? In Yemen, we had a place called the Russian Club. And I was young and naive. And uh, a friend took me to the club. And so we're at the club. And about 1030 at night, this bus pulls up. And uh, a whole busload of these young ladies of the night uh, come into the club. And I had no idea. I turned to my friend and said, oh, my gosh, look, all these secretaries and nurses just got here. And he looked at me and said, really? Is that what you think these are? (laughs) Why are they all working in the same place all at the same time after hours? I don't understand. They have that many secretaries at this club? (laughs) Were they dressed as secretaries and nurses? (laughs) (laughs) Only the ones that you see on TV. And it gets quiet in the room. (laughs) I don't know what to say, Kent. I'm just like, really? (laughs) You were naive back in the... Was that like about three years ago or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. about three weeks ago. (laughs) You know, uh, I was in Yemen in 2008 through 2011. And uh, during that time, things started to heat up a little bit. And one of the things they would tell us is that if there was going to be large protests and conflict in the city, is they'd say, take a weekend in Dubai. We'll pay for the hotel. And it was quite the trip that you fly an hour, an hour and a half away, and you go from the middle of kind of chaos to a very calm and fun Dubai. It's quite something. Does it lose its flavor when you live there? I mean, for us as tourists, we come into Dubai and we go shopping. We go to the duty-free malls. We go to the brunches, like you say. We go and do all the wild things that you do. It's sim- similar to Vegas. It's it's growing. It's still got lots of things to see. There's endless things from Red Bull showing, you know, skydiving and all that stuff. There's everything to do, even go-karting and camel racing and all that stuff. Is it lose its flavor, Jim? Yeah, it can. No, it does, it does get lonely because it's such a transient place. And some of the friends you meet, they, like most international places, they come and go and... Yeah, unless you're getting yourself out there. Yeah, it does get a little bit the lonely side. All right, all right. Let's take a moment break for a little contact information. We'll be back in in five seconds. If you want to give us a little shout out and reach out, you can find us on Gmail at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, complaints can be addressed to Greg, the single guy. And we are also on uh, Instagram, ITPexpats. You can Don't go to Emirates National School. You can say whatever you want. On my exit interview, we had to fill in a piece of paper as our exit interview. Would you recommend this to school to, to anybody? I would not even recommend this school to my worst enemy. Wow. Yeah, that was an experience, wasn't it? That was the, the Abu Dhabi one. Yeah. Okay. Which school is that? Emirates National School. So the school that we're talking about, the Emirates National School, is the one that you interviewed with and accepted just because you were subbing in UK. You had already been overseas. You figured, hey, it's going to be another school like I was at. You accepted the position after one interview on what phone or interview online with the recruiter guy that set you up. Yeah, but I, I interviewed with the school, though. But yeah, the recruiter set it up. So this crazy story, long story. I got This is going to be a long episode. That's so anyways, fine. Um, they said, yeah, when they go through the interview, like, oh, we're building accommodation for everybody. It's going to be ready in August, right, when you guys get there. So I'm like, I've spent three years in the Middle East. I know this isn't going to be ready. What are you going to do when we get there and it's not ready? I'm like, nope, it'll be ready. We've been promised it's going to be ready. Fly in, get picked up. They take us to a hotel because it wasn't ready. It's my wife and our oldest son. We're in a one-bedroom hotel for, God, I think it was two months. 
Yeah. So we did two months in there. They tell us, oh, your rooms are ready. So I go check out the room. And it's a one-bedroom apartment for my wife and our kid. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is not acceptable. So I go back and forth with the guy there. And he's like, nope, this is what you got. I'm like, no, I'm not moving into this. So then eventually they do give us a two-bedroom apartment. And then a week later I get called in and the director is like, I worked for, I used to work for schools in a superintendent in the States. If you would have acted like that, you would have gotten fired right away. <laughs> what? So you started off on good terms yeah. with the superintendent. And this is talking about housing because, you know, superintendents have something to do with everything in your life, like your housing has to go through your school, whether they give you a stipend or if it's that they're providing it and they provided you new housing, huh? So this is like new buildings? Connected to the school. Oh, so that's why it wasn't ready yet because it's part of the school that wasn't ready and they connected the housing to the school. Yeah. Oh, my God. So great terms you started off with with the superintendent. Yeah, so apparently the rule was... If you had one kid under the age of 10, it was a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> like, not acceptable. So we got the two-bedroom apartment, luckily. Also, when I was interviewed, I go, oh, yeah, we're an international school. But I'm pretty sure it was just the teaching staff's kids that was the international part. Half the kids didn't even speak English. Was it host national kids then? Yeah. Or was it multinational from Arab countries that were there? Uh, mostly host national. Um, and then, yeah, we also had a VIP entrance for the Prince's kids. But, yeah, that was at the other school, not at my school. And that's different than your school in Dubai because your school in Dubai was multinational passport yeah. holders from multiple countries. You said 58 countries. 68. 68 countries. Some dual passport holders, of course, right. but a very international school uh, feeling. And yeah. then you get to this other school that you rushed into a little bit after, you know, to hindsight 2020, but you rushed into this school and mm. you get there and it's a host national, brand new, unfinished school. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, I was supposed to be teaching middle school, but then I turned out to teaching early elementary and I was the only male staff member, which I would never do again. <laughs> we would have staff meetings where it was, they would argue over who had more teacups or who had more Play-Doh. Yeah, the whole school you're talking about. Yeah. Not just in PE, but the whole school was female? Yeah. Wow. Principal was female, but she left. She broke contract mid-year. So we didn't have a principal the last half of the year. Must have been the teacups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she had the wrong color teacups. Or not enough. Yeah. Did you see other people fleeing this school like that first year? Well, we didn't have enough PE teachers in the element, um, early elementary. So they hired one about a month later, and she left Christmas as well. What a great experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was. Yeah, and then they had the thumbprint scanner, so you had to... Uh, scan in in the morning and scan in scan out in the afternoon and if you were I found out I think it was towards the end of the, my last year that it was on a 15 minute window so if you sc scanned in 7 minutes late you're okay 8 minutes late they docked you 15 minutes pay so see at, at 3 o'clock at the end of the day you'd have a line of teachers just sat there so waiting to thumb out did you have a 2 year contract with them yeah. And that's why you stayed for two years to fill the contract so you didn't mark off your... Yeah, I tried to break it, but the American school in Abu Dhabi didn't want a contract breaker. No. None of the schools really want to have contract breakers, and those follow you through your career. And I'll, I'll share a little bit with you on that, and we'll get back to you. I just want to jump in with one about career while we're talking about it, is that when I was in Egypt, I was at a school that was host national that was... 99% Egyptian kids and mostly boys. I had the most horrible year of my life 
and around, I want to say February, I started getting my feelers out and I decided to leave. So I was undercover. I was faxing at the time as 2004. I was faxing Kuwait and I was, you know, I had had a connection at another, getting a job in February for the next August in a different country, different school. And if they had found out in Egypt that ESOL school, well, they only give you half of your pay at the beginning of the summer for your summer pay, those, those extra months. And then they give you the other half when you return. So that's how they get you to return. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's like the time scheduling thing, but that was part of the contract. So I knew I was giving that up, but if I had broken contract before they would have taken all of the summer pay and they would have taken away my flight back home because they had an annual flight home, the stipend. That's the word Mm. I'm looking for. In my experience, I broke contract I lost money, but I lost a whole lot more than that. Because when I went to interview at the next job fair two years later, even though I had finished my contract with Kuwait, even though I had finished three years in the school before Egypt, I had that break of contract. In fact, the superintendent asked me point blank in the interview at that job fair. I was in Shanghai at the uh, ISS fair, and I got into an interview. He looks at me and he says, after a minute of looking at my resume, the first thing he says is he goes, so tell me about Egypt. I'm like, oh boy. I was fully transparent with him. Because when you interview with principals overseas and schools overseas, you have to be transparent. If you hide something, they're going to find out later. It's going to come out at some point. It's a small world. Everyone knows everyone out there. Thank you. That's exactly what I was going to say. The fact that you stayed for two years with that school, it says a lot about your your strength and your patience and your uh, endurance. I couldn't stay in Egypt for more than a year. I had to leave. I had hair when I moved to Abu Dhabi. He's got no hair now, folks. He has more hair than you and I do, but on his face. Mostly just on my (laughs) chest and back. (laughs) Anyway, my point is that you stayed with your contract. I didn't. I had to backpedal several times in interviews and explain myself, and I still do. To this day, I still have to explain why I broke contract with the Esau School. I have good reason for it, and they call it the fit, right? It was not the right fit for me. I couldn't handle it. If I had gone back that year, I would have broken down and probably quit teaching. I went on to better things. You stayed for two years at a school that made you do the thumbprint every morning. It's only a specific instance. This is one school out of many. Tell us more about this school. It was so bad. First thing that comes to mind is... The fire escapes were padlocked shut and unlocked for fire drills. That's straight from Stand By Me. Stand and Deliver. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Well, it's like, I won't name names, but a person who was a teacher here was doing inspections around the country here, and they sent the girls up to the roof for a fire drill. Oh, my God. Because they couldn't be together, so the girls went to the roof, the boys went out front. Boy, segregation Middle East sometimes is a little crazy, but these are these are instances, you know, it's not all bad, right? Not all bad. Not all bad. Did you dread every morning going to school that second year? I mean, you and Claire and your baby, it was probably good for the three of you. You got to know each other pretty well, I'm sure. But it must have been crazy to go to work the next year knowing that you're just, oh. No, it was, it was a tough year, tough two years. We went, made it through. The process to get hired here is so long that I basically knew in November or whatever that I was done, so... Right, so you could move forward with it already. Yeah. What have you learned about working at this school? What advice do you have for other teachers to learn from your experience? What can they do to avoid teaching at a school like the one you're describing? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, but no, like, I, well, there was also red flags, you know, if you search on the internet for the, the school, there were some things on there that... So maybe a Google search to start yeah. off with. 
Yeah, there was, I can't remember what website I was at, but yeah. There's like no way that could be true, but. Actually, you know what? Let's change it. Give us one, Kent, how about this? One positive thing about Abu Dhabi school. Seeing as it was partially owned by the the prince, we got paid on time every month. Was it pretty good pay compared to Dubai or was it less? No. Um, it was same, same. Okay. But it was also a lateral move for you because you had left for a year. You had you'd gotten out of teaching, so you were feeling a little bit rushed. Like, I've got a job. I know what it's like in the Middle East. I can handle it. I just did three years, and it's a better situation for us, so let's get back into teaching full-time and get out of the, the parents' house, and et cetera. So I can imagine that that was all part of it. If you did it all over again, you would probably interview with more schools and not just jump at one that was an opportunity that's, that looked good. Yeah. Right? you do more research. Yeah, no, yeah, we just were ready to... It was a timing thing. You were ready to move. I mean, I remember when I, when I first went overseas, I was ready to take anything. But I didn't have three years' experience. I didn't. I had a different situation. I was ready to teach anywhere. I could do anything. I could sleep under a bridge, and I literally made twelve thousand dollars in Honduras the first year, which is six figures in Limpiras. But yeah, Kent, would you have taken anything? Have you ever done anything like that where you take anything? You know, I don't know if I would take just anything, but I think that it it helps me. Uh, it helps to be <laughs> it helps to be open minded because I think that uh, Jim's is a success story. He went through a lot, but he's gotten to a place that he's real comfortable with and he likes a lot, and he's got close coworkers. Uh, not us, but other. I mean, I've heard that some people like him, but I think it's a I real don't. success story. I think being open to places, and I agree that uh, Jim really did a great job sticking out for two years. Whereas I don't know if I would have made it those two years. I think that sometimes going to a less desirable place can help you end up in a more desirable place. It happened with me too, and that was my Egypt experience, but I broke contract. So kudos to you, Jim, for mm-hmm. sticking out on that one. Can you tell me the difference between living in Dubai and living in Abu Dhabi? Mm, good question. Ooh, I don't know. That's a complicated one because... We were single in Dubai and then married That's with true. a child in Abu Dhabi. There's definitely more. It seemed like more to do in Dubai than Abu Dhabi. Yeah, and then Abu Dhabi's closed Friday morning, so you're ready to start your weekend, but you've got to wait until 4 o'clock or 1 o'clock to go out and do something. Is Abu Dhabi more conservative Muslim country than Dubai is? Yeah, more emirate. More emirate, but conservative. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, I was just wondering, because I know Dubai has tried to be more global and more open to other cultures, et cetera, et cetera, because that's their business, that's their model. They, they're they a small country that's just grown like light years in the last 10 years. But Abu Dhabi and the other Emirates are coming along, but they just sort of have this big brother Dubai that's open to everything, as opposed to the smaller Emirates that are more conservative. Right. Yeah, and then, well, I know um, Saudi has helped out some of the other Emirates. They've got to stay a little bit more conservative. They all tie together in the Middle East. But don't just assume that each of the Emirates is going to be similar to Dubai. Oh, correct, because, no, well, like Sharjah, just north of Dubai, it's common knowledge, I suppose, that there's another Emirate above it where you don't need a liquor license to get your alcohol, and it's tax-free. So most people in Dubai, or not most, but quite a few people, they'll drive up, load up their car full of booze, drive back down through Sharjah, which has no alcohol, not allowed to possess it. Sometimes people would follow you as soon as you get into Sharjah, hit you, 
Oh, I know what that's like to live in a country with no alcohol. Yemen, was there alcohol in Yemen? Officially, no, but unofficially, quite a bit. Oh, I see. Because in Kuwait, yeah, in Kuwait, it was officially no, but the Kuwaitis all had it. So, hey, speaking of travel, and what's your personal pl- favorite place to travel? You've been around the world. What's your favorite place to travel first, you, and then your favorite for your family? Well, um, no, it's not going to be Iowa. That's your hometown, so. Yeah, let's do some guesses while he's thinking. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Cyprus. Um, North Korea. We really enjoyed um, Cambodia, Siem Reap, but that was, that was the hotel. That hotel was amazing. If you ever get a chance, privilege floor, great place. I always stayed at the Irish pub and stayed above it, so. We only picked that one. It had a free refillable minibar. Really? Then, yeah. Well, Cambodia's like that. And then, yeah, we had, they gave you a cell phone. And you had a personal driver. You just called up, like, I want to go here. He's like, all right. What's the name of that place? The privilege floor. Privilege floor. That sounds so much like It's all Cambodia. in the title. Yeah. And, like, we walked in the door. They're like, oh, welcome. Actually, no, they picked us up at the airport. And they're like, oh, hey, Jim, Claire, Caden, Owine. They, they knew, picked you up at the airport. They knew who we were because we had to send them our passport pictures and everything. And so, yeah, they, whenever you walk into the hotel, they knew your name. Did they fly you into Sim Reap or did they fly you to Phnom Penh and then drive you? I think we flew into Sim Reap. Okay. Yeah. It's a growing country, too. When were you there? It was when we could do those free trips to um, Thailand for NISA. Oh, okay. Well, that's one of the things you do as an international teacher is you go to regional conferences and you get a trip out of it, and part, hopefully the school pays for it. Depends on what school you go to, and they pay for the trip. And then you meet other teachers from around the That's world. That's great networking. Mm. All right, so don't get out of this question. What is your family's favorite place to go? Probably Dubai. We that's like our second home. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Have, yeah like I have one more question, Jim. Where were your kids born? Because you have three kids. Where yeah. were they actually born? They all have a connection to Dubai. They were either made or born. In Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> <I love> uh, <laughs> our oldest was born, um, he was born in Wales, even though we went back and stayed with Claire's parents in England. We did eventually move out to our own apartment, which was good. It was still in England. We had the option of choosing the hospital in England or Wales. Should we call them? We're like, we're coming over to Wales. And they're like, why are you coming to Wales? Like, if my son comes to me at 18 and says he's playing rugby for England, <laughs> he's, he's dead to me. So, <laughs> so I'm having him born in Wales. There's no chance. <laughs> so that's your first son. Yeah. And then, yeah, while we were in Abu Dhabi, we had our second son, but he was born in Dubai. Yeah. Luckily, another crazy story. Claire had a premonition or a feeling and said something's wrong. And we left the doctor in Abu Dhabi and went for one in Dubai. Who's like, when have you ever had a proper sonogram or whatever? And like, never. It was just the doctor in Abu Dhabi who did it in the office yeah, nothing was consistent with him. And then so she called up this doctor she heard of in Dubai. He's like, oh, no, I won't see anybody after 30 weeks or whatever. And she's like, no, I need to see you. I need to see you. And then mm. he's like, okay, come tomorrow. I'll see you. She's persuasive. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's very persuasive. That's why she's with me. No. <laughs> you will marry me, Jim. You will marry me. I've decided you will marry me and we will be happy together. Except for it's the other way around. <laughs> but yeah, so then he sent us off to go to a, a real sonographer and he did a huge ultrasound and everything and then we went back to the doctor and he's like come back tomorrow you're gonna have the baby turned out the placenta was dying and he was dying and oh no the doctor in abu dhabi was like oh no you're okay keep going and so had we stayed in abu dhabi he would have been gone would have been a different story for sure yeah and then we had another friend who's at that same doctor in abu dhabi and she had triplets um but he's like you need to take one get rid of one because oh my god these like kittens Wow. So then Claire told her, oh, go talk to this doctor up in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And so she did. And How far is it from Dubai to, to Abu Dhabi? It's like a 
plane ride yeah, instead of a short it's plane like an ride. Hour drive, forty an hour drive. Yeah. So it's like going to you know, Milwaukee, Chicago for. So then, yeah, she went up there, but he referred her to another to their whatever their multiple doctor, and she's got three, all three of the triplets. Three made healthy it. triplets. Yeah, and so then it turned out that that doctor was doing a study on stillborn. Wow. Okay, so, and your yeah. third one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the third darker. one we were here. Yeah. So no, the third one we were here, and um, but because that doctor in Dubai saved our middle child's life, um, we're going to we're going back to that doctor. So the Abu Dhabi doctor was busy. You couldn't get in with him. <laughs> so you have three different kids in three different countries overseas. Because the only reason I ask is because <laughs> three different kids. Does that sound funny? I get you two of them are the same. <laughs> three, you have three kids, three wonderful kids. I love them, but they're they're all born in different countries. And the reason I ask you well, this, two are um, in the same country. Two, two in, like I said, two in the, two in the same country. The reason I asked you this is because a lot some teachers decide to go back home. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll prefer that the wife goes back home to have the kid, and he'll go he'll go back if he can or not. Depends on if it's summer or what time. They'll go back specifically to the states to have their kid and then come back to their host country. Other teachers like you decide to have it in country. Well, that's what we were hoping that they'd get the the Emirati citizenship so we could cash in on some of that. But that they weren't allowed. <laughs> when I was in Honduras and they had the the doctors like smoking a cigarette in the hallway, you know, and then it goes in. Pops out, the baby comes back out for another smoke. You know, it's it's that was a different time, of course. I don't know. Childbirth is an amazing thing, but to be in a different country, it's not always amazing. Sometimes the stories are, but the experiences aren't. So I'm glad that you have so many rich stories. Your kids, do they have problems with identity? Yes. They must. <laughs> <laughs> Third culture kids, truly. No, yeah, because that International Day um, this year, our daughter was like, oh, I'm not American. I'm not Welsh. I'm, uh, <laughs> Do they say home is Maldives or something like Matt's kids say? <laughs> Matt's kids, go, they'll be like, can we go to our home in, in Maldives? And Matt's like, oh, God, this is going to be expensive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, they've pretty much um, claimed Texas as home now. Because um, after this winter when we went back, they, they when we came back here to the Middle East, they were like, when are we going to go back to our real home and not our rented home? That's awesome. That truly is. I know Kent doesn't have any kids. He's got a cat. He's the cat guy. Do you have any cats? Just a dog. Mm. That's a whole nother episode about having dogs. And Matt would agree on that one. In fact, I can't ask you about dog situations unless we have Matt on board here. Cause he's got stories too. And, any other burning questions you have? I'm great. Well, we've been talking with Jim here. Jim, thank you so much for coming thank along. Thank you, Jim. On this, you didn't even want to. Oh, we just welcome. threw it at you. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea you were so interesting. <laughs> That's so, so nice of you to say, Kent. All right, Jim. Thank you very much. This is uh, Jim signing off from our. Uh, well, I'll let Jim say that. This is Greg. The, <laughs> Greg. This is Greg, the single guy. Kent, the cat guy. And Jim... Jim the family guy? I guess so. He's taking it to Jim the family guy, signing off from this episode. Thank you. Till the next time. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs>